It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for Chronicles of Nania. So for that, we welcome in our resident stat geek at TurnOnTheJets.com, Gangrene Nation, Elite Sports New York, Odds Checker, and Yard Barker, and a guy who is well-known for his penchant for hidden production, Michael Nania. What's going on, Michael? <laughs> not not too much. I, I've got the hidden production. I'm drawing those holding calls. You know, you're not going to see it on the stat sheet, but I, I'm coming through better than anyone else is. Kind of like our boy Leonard Williams, who we just can't seem to stop talking about, no matter, uh, you know, he's not <laughs> the Jets anymore. But uh, yeah, it's good to be back. And it was uh, fun to see the Jets actually win a game this week, even though it's uh, the playoffs are kind of outreach. It was still fun to see them win. And it, it, it's always great to talk about uh, talk about a win. Uh, rather than a loss, and go over all the positive historical records that they set. The best part of this victory from where I sit, Michael, was the performance of Sam Darnold. I don't think he was quite as good as he was against Dallas. Against Dallas, he had more highlight real plays. He had a couple of them in this game, don't get me wrong. The play where he was basically falling to his knees and completed that pass was incredible. And there were a couple of those. He had some really nice throws on the run. The one to Wesco, as you and I joked, it was a Wesco offense, not a West Coast offense. And Wesco's now gotten a first down every single time he has caught a pass. But Darnold's performance was steady, it was solid, and it was, above all else, good. If you see more of this from Sam Darnold as a Jet fan, you'll be happy with it the rest of the way, and it's something to build off of. He was the third highest rated quarterback, according to QBR, in Week 10 in the NFL. Let's talk about this a little bit, Michael. What is the significance of this? Because I think a lot of people don't understand what QBR is actually comprised of. Yeah, QBR is arguably the best you know, uh, like one number measure uh, to evaluate quarterback performance. It's a, and, and nothing is perfect. You know, no stat is ever going to be uh, because football is such a game that has so many different dimensions, so many different things going on. Uh, it's impossible to capture all of it. You know, that's what pro football focus tries to do, but they do fail uh, pretty badly most of the time with saying Tremaine Johnson's better than Jamal Adams or whatever. <laughs> so obviously they don't do great with it. Uh, grades are supposed to be able to do that, but it's just such a, so many things are so objective, it's hard to actually uh, you know, fully just put a number on it with grades. But QBR is really good because it evaluates from a numbers, percep- uh, from a numbers perspective. It takes uh, so many, it adds so much context that passer rating and the general box score stats don't, don't really capture. And that's why you look at the stats for the, bo- the box score stats for this game. Jones put up, I think, 308 yards. He had four touchdowns, no picks, uh, 121 passer rating. Darnold had one touchdown, no picks, I believe, about 240 yards, and I think a 97 passer rating. So uh, it looked like if you if you just looked at that and didn't watch the game, it would appear that you know Jones drastically outplayed Sam Darnold, but uh, it just misses so many different things. You miss that Jones had three fumbles and Darnold had none. You miss that Darnold drew more yardage and first downs from penalties than Jones did, drawing you know holding pass interference through the air. You miss that Jones, most of his production was after the catch, and Darnold, a much higher portion of it was through the air. You miss that Darnold had uh, probably much better production, uh, or not probably, but he did have much better production uh, under pressure than Jones did. And QBR accounts for all that stuff. It uh, compares the it compares the production of each play, and it accounts for all that stuff. How much of the production, uh, how many yards did each throw get through the air versus after the catch? It you know, it adjusts for the fact that, you know, Jones is two touchdowns. He had the 60-plus yarder to Tate. It, it, it scores for quarterbacks. It gives them credit for the expected amount of yards after the catch that they should get based on where the throw is completed, 
how, uh, how many yards after the catch the average player would get in that situation instead of you know giving them what actually happened because now you're giving Jones credit for a 60-yard touchdown, which makes his stats look really, really good, even though he did a good job, a solid job, executed the throw, but didn't exactly you know break the game open because most of that was his receiver. So QBR adjusts for all that stuff. It gives quarterbacks credit for penalties. Uh, includes what they do on the ground, which is another part of the game. Uh, Darnold outplayed Jones. He had the read option touchdown early. He had the huge scramble later in the game that set up a field goal. So it accounts for the run game. It accounts for penalties. Uh, it scores based on whether the pass was under pressure or not. It accounts for air yards versus after the catch yards. Uh, it accounts for down distance situations. Score uh, gives gives more credit for you know takes out garbage time production. Uh, accounts for more high leverage situations, you know, parts of the game that matter more uh, based on, you know, the score and the time and things like that. So it, it's really good for adding all the context, you know, things that really matter because when you're watching the game, you know, the stuff matters, you know, the quarterback fumbles, that's a bad play on him. You know, the quarterback scrambles for a first down, that's a good play on him. And you know that, you know, quarterback throws a screen pass and the, the receiver takes the 70 yards for a touchdown, you know, that's not something he really did all that well, but in the box score, he gets a ton of credit for it. And QBR does a really good job uh, adjusting for all that. So it's on ESPN. They have the uh, reports every week and the season-long numbers. Pro Football Reference has it, uh, the season-long totals as well. But uh, it's a really good staff for capturing all that stuff. And it's not perfect because there are still things that happen uh, that it doesn't account for. You know, there are times where, you know, there are different variants of pressure Uh what if a quarterback, you know, barely gets pressured, you know, a guy wins off the edge. But what if that pressure came about five seconds after the snap just because the coverage was so good or uh, the pressure came and it was like instant pressure and the quarterback can't account for it at all. There are so many different variants of pressure uh, that could be, you know, more or less impactful in the quarterback trying to make the throw. Um, then there are a lot of other things they don't account for. Or if they throw an interception that was dropped by the receiver, what they throw a touchdown that was you know tipped by a defender or should have been an interception but ended up a touchdown so things like that are hard to you know account for uh and you know quarterbacks will get knocked for sacks in that too but it's hard to adjust for that as well because you know sometimes the offensive line is just terrible and there's not that much a quarterback can do to avoid these sacks even though for the most part like we talked about on here uh sacks are very much a quarterback stat but sometimes it's hard to avoid sacks sometimes the o-line is just that bad and Sometimes they don't get help in the running game. Sometimes the receivers aren't getting open, and that makes their production look worse, even though they don't have someone to throw the ball to because uh, the receivers aren't winning their battle. So stuff like that, it's going to be hard for any sad to ever capture, but QBR does a great job accounting for a lot of stuff that you know we are getting in play-by-play uh, and different you know tracking, uh, different places that track these things. Uh, and QBR does a good job controlling for a lot of different things that are very important winning games, very important in evaluating quarterback performance that uh, passer rating and the general box score stats uh, just don't catch. And passer rating passer rating is a good one number look at just, you know, basically fantasy production, you know, touchdowns, interceptions, yards per attempt. But really the flaw of passer rating is that it counts completion percentage as a huge part of calculating it. But the thing is, I think passer rating, people really need to understand the formula of what goes into that. It's not just, a magic number like QBR kind of is a magic number that, but it, it, it works because it accounts for so many things that matter. Passer rating includes completion percentage and yards per attempt. So it's double counting uh, a quarterback's ability to complete passes at a high rate, even though that doesn't actually matter. If you complete, you know, 15 out of 15 passes for 30 yards, you're not actually doing anything, but you're getting a hundred completion percentage. And that's going to make your passer rating look really, really good. So it, it, accounts for yards per attempt, completion percentage, touchdown and interception rate. Uh, and, and yeah, that's the four factors. So completion percentage being a part of passer rating is really what kind of hurts it as an overall stat, because like we know, completion percentage doesn't matter. It's what you get, you know, on average out of your passes. If you're um, completing 50% of your passes, but you're averaging, you know, 20 yards per completion for, you know, maybe 10 yards per attempt, then you're being pretty efficient. And, you know, hopefully you're moving the chains with those as well. But, uh, completion percentage being a part of pass rating does really hurt that as an overall stat. But overall, QBR is uh, probably the best one-number look. Uh, if you're looking for a stat to just evaluate, compare quarterbacks and their overall performance in terms of you know their impact in winning games, QBR is the way to go. And Darnold did a really good job this week uh, in that stat. He was third best uh, as of Monday Night Football, which when we're recording this, 
hasn't occurred yet. And there is a really good, a couple of good quarterbacks, but an MVP candidate playing in that game and Russell Wilson. But before Monday night football, uh, Darnold was behind only Prescott and Lamar Jackson in QBR. And that's unadjusted for opponent. He ranks a little bit lower if you adjust for uh, the quality of the Giants defense, but unadjusted for the opponent quality. He had the third best QBR of the week. And and that's a great sign going forward uh, for Darnold. How did Darnold's QBR compare to Jones in this game? So Jones actually did a pretty good job with QBR as well. He was seventh among the 24 quarterbacks who played as of the time we are recording this in week 10, seventh and unadjusted QBR. Uh, like Darnold, lower if you look at the adjusted QBR for opponent quality, closer to the middle of the pack, but significantly behind Darnold. Uh, QBR is out of 100. Uh, Darnold was at 86.5. Jones was at uh, 72. So uh, Darnold did, uh, like you kind of know if you watch the game, uh, that Jones did play solidly, but Darnold was uh, just more efficient and cooler under pressure and Overall, didn't make the mistakes that Jones did and, and just had better, more consistent accuracy. And it does come through here on QBR that Darnold was the better quarterback in this game. But Jones did still come out uh, pretty good with QBR, and he does deserve credit. He made some pretty good throws. Uh, four touchdowns, no interceptions. However you slice it is a hard thing to accomplish. It doesn't happen a lot, and he has actually now done it in uh, uh, twice now in the past few weeks. But Darnold did come out. on. Uh, if you watch the game, it was clear that Darnold was – the better quarterback in this game and QBR does uh, come through with that much m- to doing what passer rating doesn't uh, passer rating clearly telling the wrong story just because, you know, the completion percentage was higher or he threw more touchdowns. And that's another thing. Touchdowns are a product of just, just the situations that a quarterback gets put in. Like, like Darnold, for example, he ran in, uh, ran in that one touchdown on the read option. He scored the touchdown, made the right decision, but it doesn't make him look better in passer rating because it was a rushing touchdown. So, just play calling in the red zone affects their uh, ability to stack up those touchdowns. And it, it changes the way passer rating makes them look as a player. And passer rating is the most looked at one number stat for quarterback performance. And it's just, it's very reliant on things that just don't correlate with winning. But uh, QBR clearly uh, as uh, exemplified by the comparison between Darnold and Jones here uh, is a much better way to evaluate quarterbacks. And uh, it does come through here showing that Darnold was uh, better than Jones in that game. One of the things that QBR takes into account that I thought is really cool is the ability of the quarterback to draw penalties from the opposing right. team. So my father, who I was watching this game with at MetLife Stadium, after one of the penalties that Sam Darnold was able to draw, asked me how that was going to be reflected in Sam Darnold's stat sheet, and I said it really isn't. So he said, shouldn't it be? And I said, yeah, it probably should be. So the QBR people are in tune with what my dad was asking. And to that point, Michael, this is probably why Darnold's QBR was pretty high and why it's probably been a little higher in some instances than people realize. Sam Darnold is actually leading the NFL this year in frequency of drawing pass interference calls. He's drawn six defensive pass interference calls on just 204 passes. So that's a rate of one every 34 passes. And uh, that's the most frequent in the league among qualified starting quarterbacks. Phillip Rivers has the most with 10. He's slightly behind Darnold. He's thrown 364 passes. So he's thrown one every 36.4. Aaron Rodgers has nine. Andy Dalton has eight. But Darnold, you know, missing those three games, not having as high of a passing uh, pass attempts per game volume as those guys do, uh, comes out in front of them in terms of how frequently He's drawn those pass interference calls, and I believe he's got uh, three holds drawn as well on uh, targets uh, to receivers. So he's been doing a good job with that this year, and it's really promising because that's something he didn't do very well last year. He only drew one pass interference uh, all last season. That was in the first game against Detroit, and he didn't have too many holds either. I think five throughout the season. So he's doing a really good job with that this season, and I think there is some luck involved with that, but you look at some of the names who are consistently at the top of these lists, and I mentioned, well, I did say Andy Dalton, but Aaron Rodgers is up there, Philip Rivers, Jimmy Garoppolo. So Tom Brady is up there. He's consistently near the top. Uh, it, it's production. You know, these are plays that, you know, uh, very often would probably be completions uh, if the penalty didn't occur. So it does, you know, those are lost stats for these quarterbacks who, you know, should have these big plays but aren't getting them. But because they're not getting them, you know, because the cornerback or DB safety, whoever it is, is, you know, having to compensate for getting beat, you know, losing the play by taking the penalty. And the offense is still getting the yards, but the quarterback's not getting credit for it. So it's 
still a testament to their ability to make the right decision, see the open guy, and put the ball in a spot where the the DB has to interfere to break up the play. And uh, we saw that with the Robbie Anderson play, and that's a credit to Anderson too. He had a quiet game on the box score, only one catch for 11 yards. And he did have one one play where I think he dropped it, should have caught it, but he drew a hold and a pass interference in this game. So some more off the statute production for him as well, but for, for the quarterback, from the quarterback's perspective, it's still uh, just the ability to see the right guy, get it to the open man. And I think with a lot of these pass interference calls, uh, they it has to be an accurate pass for it to happen. If you don't throw the ball well, if you air mail it out of bounds, they're going to be less likely to call it. They will sometimes, but they're going to be less likely to call it if the ball isn't in the area. If you you know throw the pass short and make the receiver have to come back to it, they'd be less likely to call it. Uh, most of the time, you have to be pretty accurate to draw those calls. So it is uh, it is a skill. It is, you know, and like I said, lost production that, you know, if the penalties didn't occur, they probably would be getting credit for these plays uh, in the box score with real production, with the real catch. But uh, it's good to see Darnold up there, it's mo- especially because it's something he didn't do very well with last year, only drawing the one uh, pass interference call all season, now leading the league as of right now and doing that most frequently. So progression is great, and that's what we want to see uh, from Darnold throughout the season just overall. So to see him do, uh, to see him progressing in this area is really promising. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. The face of the offense right now on the Jets is Sam Darnold. The face of the defense is Jamal Adams. He struggled a little bit against the Miami Dolphins. It was one of his weaker games as a pro. He had a huge bounce back against the Giants, one of the best games of his career. And you've got some really interesting numbers here that put him in the same category as former Play Like a Jet guest Kerry Rhodes, the free safety. By the way, Kerry Rhodes came on to talk about the 2008 season, the Brett Favre season. In major detail, we went through numerous parts. He went through every single game and told stories from that season. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, go into the archives and give it a listen. But with that said, Michael, what are the interesting statistics I'm talking about? And what is it that puts Jamal Adams in the same category as Kerry Rhodes? Yeah, so Jamal is basically already the best playmaking defensive back the Jets have ever had, or at least uh, while most of these stats are available because some of these haven't been tracked you know, that long, only a couple of decades. But uh, Adams has eight and a half sacks in his career already. That's only a half sack behind Kerry Rhodes, who had nine in his Jets career for the most ever by Jets defensive back over their Jets careers. And uh, Adams has only played 41 games for the Jets. Kerry Rhodes played 80, so uh, he's only played about half the games that Rhodes did, and he's already on the cusp of passing him for the most sacks ever by a Jets defensive back, and he's already tied Rhodes for the most tackles for loss by Jets defensive back with 23 of those 
in his career. And, and you'd think if a guy is, you know, on track to beat these franchise records so easily, just, you know, two and a half seasons into his career, that uh, his production would measure up pretty well against the rest of the league, too. And it really does. His playmaking has been uh, really just historically great uh, in the company of some guys who have been, uh, you know, Hall of Famers, really great players, Pro Bowlers, All Pros. Uh, and in some cases, not in company with anybody at all, he's doing uh, what he's done has been so neat, so unique. But uh, that game against the Giants was his 41st game in the league. He hit eight and a half sacks for his career. He scored a second touchdown and he joined Rondé Barber, who ironically was calling the game as the only two defensive backs to have over two touchdowns and eight sacks over their first 41 career game. So you wouldn't think it's that incredible. It's really good. But uh, it turns out uh, him and Barber are the only defensive backs who have done that. And you throw in what he's done with tackles for loss. He's only defensive back with two, over two or two plus touchdowns, eight plus sacks and 20 plus tackles for loss uh, over their first 41 career games. And tackles for loss have only been tracked uh, since 1999. So it doesn't span over most of history, but we're still talking about um, this is now 21 years since uh, the 21st season since 1999. So that's over two decades of football and no one's been able to do uh, what Jamal has done producing touchdowns, sacks, and tackles for loss. And you can take out the touchdowns, and he's still pretty much uh, not with many players in that company in terms of what he's done as a pass rusher, making big plays in the run game. You throw in his passes defended, he's still pretty high in that. You throw in his quarterback hits, he's been really good with that as well. So his playmaking has just been just unreal in terms of, you know, he's just been making big plays, run game, pass game. He's now got the touchdowns this season. You know, first season he said, oh, he can't get any interceptions. And then you know, he turned around in uh, his second season and had an interception, made some big plays. And then he's come out this season and he scored a couple of touchdowns. So he just continued to progress every single year. And it's it's funny because the past couple of games, you know, in Florida against Jacksonville and Miami, he was he was not very good. And the Miami game uh, in both those games, he's really part of coverage bus uh, allowing touchdowns. It kind of seemed like he's mailing it in after all the trade stuff, you know, but after struggling in those two games, he did come out and have, you know, one of the best games, arguably the best game of his career against the Giants. I think that Patriots game against Gronkowski last year is right up there. Uh, that one might be better. You no, know, both of these games were great against uh, two Northeastern rivals for the Jets. But uh, just his playmaking in all facets has been uh, very few players. And, you know, you can cut it up some ways, like I just demonstrated that uh, really no one else has been able to do. Uh, what he's been able to what he has accomplished in terms of his playmaking and you know like we talked about a lot of times on this podcast it doesn't encapsulate everything you know we're talking about eight sacks over the thousands of snaps Jamal Adams has played for the Jets you know he's going on going to hit probably going to hit 3,000 snaps played for the Jets this season and we're talking about what he's done on you know what I talk about two touchdowns eight sacks 20 tackles for loss that's 30 plays out of the going on 3,000 snaps, he'll have played for the Jets by and by the end of the season. So that's about 1% of the snaps he's played. So those big plays don't tell the entire story. But like we know for Adams, he does make impact that the statue doesn't capture. His coverage has been really good over the past couple of seasons. It was a problem as a rookie. It has not been these past two seasons. He's done a really good job there. His run defense, he makes an impact. You know, even when he's not involved in the play, he'll crush uh, the slot receiver trying to trying to block him. He'll crush the tight end uh, and run defense. He plays his role really well. So we don't have to worry about with Adams, you know, him just being a guy who you know has gotten lucky to make big plays or has just put up nice stats, but doesn't actually make a good impact because you know, I think Darren Lee's kind of that player last season. You know, he had the interception early on. His coverage stats were good, especially because of he really ballooned them in that Detroit game, just making a lot of tackles. Underneath, I think Lee got targeted seven, uh, 17 times, I think, in that Lions game, which is absolutely unreal. So he put up some numbers that didn't really correlate with his performance because, you know, his run defense was bad. He's part of coverage bus all the time. But with Adams, we know for the most part, uh, it, with the exception of these past two games this season, uh, that he's been really good overall. And the big plays are just uh, really just a bonus with how good he is, the impact that he makes. So his playmaking has been elite and we know he brings it in every other way that he needs to. So uh, it's been, a, even if he isn't a jet going forward, he is raising his trade value. But I think this game right here, and I talked about on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that I didn't really want the Jets to trade him uh, just because of how hard it is to find a player this good. And uh, games like this and games like the Patriots game last year are, uh, those are the kind of signature performances that elite players have when they're making their case 
uh, the kind of games that give an elite player the case to be the best at their position. And Jamal really doing what he's with this game. And, you know, he's had some great games this season as well, even though he did have the cold streak a couple of weeks ago. He's made his case to be the best safety in the league yet again. But uh, this game was just a total, really everything besides a Jones touchdown. His run defense was great. He made a good playing coverage on Golden Tate. Just uh, just another signature game from him and a uh, complete showcase of all of his best skills. But the playmaking numbers for him are really just unprecedented uh, as long as these stats have been available over the past uh, 20, 25 years. You go back, uh, I mean, sacks have been around a while, almost 40 years for those. But really, as long as uh, as long as we've had these stats, very few players, and again, in some ways, uh, no players have been able to touch the, the playmaking production that Jamal has been able to for the Jets. Michael, I thought this was interesting. You talked about the Rondé Barber similarity with Jamal Adams and how he hit eight and a half sacks and two touchdowns for his career in his 41st game. The only other defensive back to do that was Rondé Barber, who was calling the game when the Jets did that. And then the week before, when Adams picked up career sack number six and a half, he joined Adam Archuleta, who was doing commentary on that game as the only defensive backs with at least six and a half sacks and 20 tackles for a loss over their first 40 games. So with those two defensive backs calling the games, when Adams matched them in impressive achievements, you asked, what does this mean? Michael, what I think it means is that the Jets have to find a way to get Ed Reed to do commentary for the rest of their games this season. <laughs> I, I, you don't have to do Marcus May like that, though. I think we got to get Revis to call some games. We got to have a three-team, three-man broadcast booth. We got to have Nick Mangold on play-by-play. We got to have Brick and Revis doing the color commentary. And on the sideline, we could have who should we have on the sideline? We should get get Damian Woody out there on the sideline. We could use some guard help too. We could also have Bart Scott do some commentary. Maybe that'll help the inside. I mean, linebackers. right now, with the way the Jets are linebacker, we should just get Bart Scott on the field. I wish that was a bad idea at this point, Michael, but the linebacking core has been so bad, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. The linebacking core may be poor, though, but the defensive line has not been. They were extremely impressive against the Giants and Saquon Barkley. This was the worst performance of Saquon Barkley's young career as a pro, and it's indicative of the overall performance that the Jets' defensive line has had against the run this season. Yeah, so the Jets have been, and it seems like every year we say this, but they've been legitimately elite in run defense, even though they have been you know, not good at anything else, except punting. Lachlan Edwards has been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but run defense, they've been uh, legitimately very, very good with that this season. So they've allowed only three yards per rush attempt this season, 3.01 to be exact. But that is the best mark by any team through nine games since the 2010 Steelers, who won the AFC that season. Went to the Super Bowl, lost to the Packers, and uh, obviously actually beating the Jets that season in the AFC Championship game. But for the Jets, it's the third best mark for them through nine games in team history, trailing only the 1986 and 1968 Super Bowl winning team. So if that trend continues, the Jets should be in the playoffs this season. It's still possible, as Sam Darnold reminded everyone uh, after the game. But uh, Barkley, like you said, is the worst performance in terms of you know, his rushing production, and not to mention his pass blocking against Jamal Adams, but in terms of his rushing production, not just the worst for him, but really the worst for any Giant ever as well. He only had one yard on his 13 carries. That's the fewest yards in Giants history by a player with at least 13 carries in a game. It's the fewest yards the Jets have ever allowed to an opponent with at least 13 carries uh, in a game. So the run defense was really good in this game, and, and it has been all season. They rotated everybody in and out doing this and it's it's really surprising after the opening game against the bills that the jets primarily lost because of their run defense after cj mosley went out devin singletary went off and that's uh, what got the bills back into the game so it seemed like that was going to be an issue but that has not been the case and to be fair teams have kind of taken the gas pedal off a little bit against the jets in some of those earlier games where they didn't really you know kind of ran the ball late just kind of chewing clock but you know stats like dvoa EPA, there's, the Jets are number one by a wide margin in these stats, and th- these are efficiency-based, context-based stats that account for all this stuff, and the Jets are still number one by a wide margin in these metrics. So uh, in this game against the Giants, so Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, who finally showed up uh, after really not doing much of anything last season, he had the best game of his career. Fadakasi's just been amazing. Quinton Williams was good in this game against the run. Uh, probably not as good as either of those two guys were, and you know we definitely would like to see some more 
from him going forward. But like we've talked about, the potential is there. It's just about the consistency, which is the key for him. It's the key for any athlete. So that's kind of overused cliche. But Quinn Williams did play good in that game. You'd like to see more consistency. But he did, especially late in the game, had that uh, should have been a forced fumble against Daniel Jones. It looked sure looked like one. Obviously, we're biased. But uh, he did have that good rush against him. But the run defense, Quinn Williams was has consistently been solid there. Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, those three guys are really at the core of it. Steve McClendon involved as always. Jamal Adams, too, and this is where uh, he's been most consistent uh, in run defense throughout his career, going back to his rookie season, coming off the edge, making that play on Barkley early in the game, and that's where he's really dangerous. If you don't block Jamal Adams on the edge, he's going to come from behind and make that tackle every single time. He's obviously got great speed, and he finishes really well. Uh, in the trenches, as well as any other uh, safety in the league. So Adams contributed as well. Brandon Copeland made a few stops uh, in this game also. So really, it's a committee effort, and it has been all season with the rotation. Brandon Copeland is playing inside linebacker. Uh, he was you know, an average at best edge defender for the Jets, and now he's playing inside linebacker for them. That's how weak they are at that position with all the injuries. So it, it's a credit to Greg Williams, really, with Fadakasi barely played last year. Nathan Shepard was pretty bad last season. Like we just said, we have Brandon Copeland playing inside linebacker. Uh, Quinton Williams, you know, you expect more out of him, but he's a rookie. He missed some time. Um, and playing next to Brandon Copeland is James Burgess, who was on the uh, did not even make the team to start the season. So this is the best run defense in the league by pretty much any metric. And they've done it rotating, you know, dealing with injury after injury after injury. And, uh, you know, and they've done it in dominant fashion against against some good running backs. The Giants have not run the ball well this season. Saquon Barkley came in uh, pretty cold over his past couple games after returning, but no, it's still Saquon Barkley, and he picked up fewer yards than Trevon Wesco did in this game, uh, <laughs> with two yards for Wesco and one for Barkley. But the run defense has you know not just been good; it's been great. It's a credit to Greg Williams, and you know the Jets did are they do have Fadakasi playing really really well. He's been arguably I think Adams overtook him in this game, but you know, maybe the second best defensive player after Adams this season, he's just been legitimately very good. You see some of the, pe- uh, the penetration Fadakasi can get against some of these guards and tackles. Uh, it's just really impressive. He had one play where he knocked the, the left guard about four yards into the backfield and then took out Barkley. He had a play where he took on a double team and got a two yard stuff. Uh, so he has been really impressive. And you actually, uh, we talked about this earlier, but, this is what he was doing in the preseason. He looked dominant uh, you know, against the Giants, uh, against uh, a few of the other teams, against the Falcons in those early preseason games. And he's looked like the exact same player during the regular season uh, as he was in the preseason. And you don't see that often. We hype up guys in the preseason every single year. They never deliver because the competition isn't as good. But fadakasi has been doing it this year, and he's been uh, he's looking like a legitimate seal. And it's fun because he's a guy from New York, too. So uh, it, it definitely makes him even more of a rootable player. He's got a great name uh, and he's a dominant run defender, but this jets run defense has been really, really solid. And, you know, going forward, you'd like for them to be good at some other things that matter more pass rushing, actually passing the ball on offense, running the ball on offense, because run defense is arguably the least important of those four things, you know, pass defense, pass offense, rush offense, probably least important of those four, which is why it's not a coincidence. The jets are good at it pretty much every single year throughout this decade. They've never actually been a good team. Uh, So, you know, it is important, but probably not as much so as those other teams. But, you know, you have to give Greg Williams credit, all those guys up front on that defense credit uh, for what they've done with this run defense. They've been really, really good with that this year. Nothing else is on their way, but they have done uh, really good with run defense. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because There is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Foley Fadakasi is starting to look like Snacks Harrison 2.0 at this point. Between him, Kyle Phillips, Quinnen Williams, Steve McClendon, Nathan Shepard. It looks like the Jets are able to just pluck these guys. Leonard Williams was here before. And then you look at all the other guys that they've gotten in the past. Sheldon Richardson, Muhammad Wilkerson. 
Snacks Harrison. There have been a lot of really good defensive linemen over the last decade, even when the Jets were poor, as you said. And as a result, people have begun to think that finding guys like that is very easy because the Jets seem to do it well. So if the Jets don't do anything else well, but they're finding a lot of useful defensive linemen late in the draft or even undrafted guys like Snacks or Kyle Phillips, well, how hard could it be? Except the problem is it actually is a lot harder than people realize. In fact, that position is very difficult to find useful pieces, even though there's this weird narrative out there that defensive linemen are a dime a dozen and they're very easy to come by. Yeah, I think that with the Jets, and and this is like what we just talked about with the way they performed in run defense. I think they've just been legitimately good at picking defensive linemen. The Jets have not been that been good at a lot of things on the field. Their front office has not been good at a lot of things in the draft or in free agency or with trades. But one thing they have been pretty good at is finding these defensive linemen and I think as Jets fans we've been it's been so consistent throughout this decade with how bad they've been at so many things how bad they've been on the offensive line how bad they've been at cornerback Uh, so for defensive line to be the one very consistent positive throughout this decade I think it's kind of spoiled us in a sense Uh, Jets fans are not really spoiled with anything but with defensive line kind of seems like they are because it's really not as easy to find these guys Uh, as the Jets have made it seem. And, you know, I kind of looked at some numbers earlier because, you know, it does seem like it is. But when you look at the just the history, recent draft history of, you know, how post round one defensive linemen have fared, it's really not as easy to find productive guys as you would think it is. So just kind of for an arbitrary uh, benchmark to kind of look at, uh, see how many of these guys have been productive uh, defensive linemen drafted after the first round. I looked at guys who have averaged 0.5 quarterback hits per game in their career. So for you, to, the, where I came up with that is for you to average uh, top 100 in quarterback hits uh, this season, generally over the past few seasons, for you to rank top 100. So one of the 100 leaders in quarterback hits uh, in a season, you'd probably have to average about 0.5 uh, hits per game. So that put you on pace for about eight over the course of an entire season or about five right now. Uh, in this season, uh, as we're about 10 weeks in. Uh, so 0.5 quarterback hits per game is a benchmark I came up with. That should put you top 100 in the league in quarterback hits. And I think, you know, that's what people are looking at most of all, uh, pass rushing production. And the run defense will probably come with that if you're pass rushing well up front. So uh, 0.5 quarterback hits per game is a benchmark. 122 defensive linemen have been picked uh, uh, after round one since 2016. And of those 122, only 25 have averaged 0.5 quarterback hits per game. That's 20% of them. So there's an 80% chance you're not getting a guy uh, with these post round one defensive linemen. There's an 80% chance you're not getting a guy who's going to be even one of the 100 best pass rushers in the league, uh, at least based on quarterback hits. So it's really not as easy as the Jets have made it seem. And, and that's just the case with any position. The top of the first round is where the talent is and just gradually gets worse. Uh, as it goes on, obviously, in bigger increments towards the beginning of the draft, you know, round one to round two is the biggest jump, round two to round three is the second biggest, and so on and so forth. But uh, it, it's really the case with any position. It's not, there are some positions that are easier to find steals than others, but surprisingly, it doesn't seem like defensive line is because I just looked at wide receiver as a comparison. So for you to rank top 100 in receiving yards per game, uh, you ha- probably have to get over about 30. That's been the general mark over the past couple seasons so of the 96 wide receivers drafted after round one since 2016 26 of them have been able to average 30 yards per game that's 27 percent, so seven percent higher uh, than our benchmark for defensive line so uh, slightly higher than uh, slightly more likely to get one of those top 100 players post round one but uh, it just goes to show that it's tough to find hits around after round one the jets have done a good job with it and also you can't just label nathan shepherd a hit after one game, Fadakasi's looking great, but he hasn't even played, uh, you know, 10 games in his NFL career yet. I think he played one game last season, and we're only nine games into this one. So, you know, he hasn't even played a full season yet. Shepard just had the first game of uh, first good game of his career. So it's too early to make declarations on these guys. But uh, so you can't just say that, you know, after this one game where the Jets were dominant uh, and Shepard was in the middle of it, that it goes to show that Quinn Williams was a bad pick. I, I think that pretty much any GM in that spot, if they were picking for the Jets, would have taken Quinn and Williams. You know, not not consensus. I think there was would be some teams that would you know bypass talent for need, go with Josh Allen, go with another edge rusher. But 
know, it was pretty consensus. Williams's tape in college was really, really good. It was legitimately great. And I think that pretty much mo- most GMs, and I think there were some people out there or uh, tweets or reports and stuff that confirmed this, but I think almost any GM would have taken him in that slot. And just like you can't confirm Nathan Shepard hit, Fadakasi hit, although Fadakasi does look great right now, uh, although it's too early for really any of those guys to declare anything. It's the same thing for uh, Quinn Williams. You can't declare him a bust yet. And, you know, he's been solid. He hasn't been a bust. I do think over the past couple games, he hasn't really won at an average rate, I think, because I have been focusing on him and he hasn't really been as good as you would hope, probably about average, maybe a little bit below, but he hasn't been a complete embarrassment. And as long as you're not, you know, just looking completely lost, uh, then you have a chance to break out. He was one of the youngest guys picked this year. He only played the one year uh, at Alabama, getting the regular playing time. So, you know, he's a guy who has plenty of opportunity to, you know, bust out down the stretch of this season and going forward over the next few. It, it's definitely been disappointing to date, but it hasn't been, you know, completely disappointing to the point where this guy is no hope. He's shown plenty of flashes. The talent is obviously there, and he has been one of the most consistent players on the best run defense in the league, and that definitely matters. And he did make some key plays late uh, in this game. So he it's way too early to make declar- declarations on any of these guys, but uh, the point that it's easy to find defensive linemen after the first round and that makes it you know wrong for the Jets to take Quinn and Williams, it, it, it's just not true. You look at uh, draft history and how many other teams in the league right now are struggling with run defense like the you know the Carolina Panthers right now can't stop the run for anything. Uh, how much would they like to have someone like you know Quinn and Williams, a round one talent, uh, powering their run defense? So it's really not as easy uh, to find uh, to find hits on the defensive line after the first round as the Jets have made it seem. It's one of the very few things that they've done consistently well. And again, you can't just label Nathan Shepard good yet or Fadakasi. It's been too early, but for the most part, the Jets have drafted defensive linemen well, and it's not as easy to find them after the first round as it would seem. Michael, you can find great value at any position in the NFL draft if you know where to look, just as you can find great value in gambling if you know where to look. And once you identify great value, you want to go ahead and try and make some money off of it over at mybookie.ag. I hope that you found the value in the Jets and Giants over last week because obviously that paid off big time. 61 points, a hell of a lot more than most people were expecting. So hope you were able to get your bet in on the Jets, Giants, and the over before the game got going over at mybookie.ag. And if you did, then you know that when you signed up, you got yourself a 50% match on your first deposit all the way up to 1000 bucks. So the max is 2000 bucks, and they'll match you 1000 Everything below that, they will match 50% of your first deposit. You can bet on over-unders like in the Giant game. You can also bet on the over-unders on the Jets' next game against the Washington Redskins. You can bet on all kinds of props, whether or not Le'Veon Bell is going to finally go over 100 yards, if Sam Darnold is going to throw more touchdown passes than Dwayne Haskins, whether or not the Jets are going to have a starting cornerback next week that anybody's ever heard of. I'm guessing there's a good chance that that won't be the case. Plus, you can bet on the game and all the rest of the games around the league as well over at mybookie.ag. Remember, you get 50% of your first deposit matched up to 1000 bucks when you sign up using the promo code OVERTIME. So sign up right now, use the promo code OVERTIME, and take advantage of that great deal while it lasts. mybookie.ag, you play, you win, and you get paid. And if you're going to be betting on this upcoming matchup between the Jets and the Redskins, you may want to be there because unlike Jacksonville and Miami, the Redskins are within driving distance. It's the D.C. area. Technically, it's Maryland. But you can drive out there and have yourself a really nice weekend built around the game if you want. As somebody that used to live in the D.C. area, I can tell you there are always plenty of things to do in D.C. And you have a really fun weekend, not only at the Jets and Redskins game, but going to concerts, going to theaters, going to a comedy show. And if you're going to buy tickets to any of those things, you should do it over at Vivid Seats because when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and enter the promo code overtime, you get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. That purchase could be Jets Redskins tickets or it could be anything else. We're getting into Thanksgiving and Christmas season, so there are all kinds of great shows going on. The Radio City Christmas Spectacular is coming to town here in New York, so that might be something that you want tickets to. Anything you want, you can use that discount when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code OVERTIME. You'll get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. 
And Michael, as I was saying before, and like you and I were talking about before we started recording, there are bargain players at every single position. And just because Foley Fadakasi was a sixth round pick and has looked really good so far, that doesn't negate picking somebody like Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox at the top of a draft because you could get Foley Fadakasi in the sixth round. As you joked before we started recording, by that logic, why pick a quarterback in the top 10 when you could just get somebody like Tom Brady in round six? Yeah, exactly. And you look at the the, the Redskins uh, in 2012, pick Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, picked RG3 at the top of the draft. So I guess that proves that, you know, you can't take quarterback at the top of the draft because, you know, they could easily get Cousins in round four. But really, it and it's it's tough when you're a fan of one team and really just focusing on that one team. It kind of, your views of the league, and, you know, I, this is just kind of from my own experience, but your views of the, of the league kind of get shaped around, you know, what your team is doing because that's who you're focused on. And with the defensive line, with the Jets, you know, it, it does, it did seem, you know, even to me, like before I looked at these numbers, that, you know, defensive line is easy to find, but you just got to look at the entire league in context, not just what your team is doing, because, you know, even the argument that, you know, the Jets should know that they're only good at drafting defensive line. Uh, and, you know, because of that, they should ignore it in the first round and draft it later. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think teams approach it that way. They're kind of, they, you know, scout these players throughout the year. They put their board together. They rank all these players and they're going to pick the player who they think, you know, evaluating both need, fit, talent, you know, best is the best pick in that spot. They're not looking at, okay, who did we draft a couple of years ago? Who's good. And also going into this draft, you didn't know Fadakasi is going to be good. He didn't play last year uh, or he barely played. Nathan Shepard was not good last season. Uh, you knew Leonard Williams was going to have a contract year. So defensive line was the need for them. Uh, and also Henry Anderson. Well, they did resign him a few months before the draft, but you don't know what you're getting out of him. He was injury prone before coming to the jets and had a breakout season. So defensive line was a hole for this team. And this, uh, you know, narrative now that they're really great at picking these late round guys, you know, we're just now seeing that Kyle, you know, Kyle Phillips and uh, Fadakasi and, you know, maybe Shepard, if he can continue this, we're just now seeing them play well. But at the time, you know, defensive line was a need for the jets, just like it was uh, just like not quite as much as, you know, outside linebacker and edge rusher, but, it was a need and, you know, balancing that and the fact that, you know, Big Q was probably the most or easily the most talented, best prospect on the board. It definitely made it a very viable pick. And we'll see, you know, we'll see how things play out because to date, Josh Allen has been better than Quinn and Williams has been. And he plays, you know, arguably a more important, more premium position. One that's definitely of bigger need for the Jets, but it was a completely defensible pick and there's plenty of time uh, for it to play out correctly. And in terms of you know, late round defensive lineman being easy to pick, you know, based on these numbers or not, not even just like this magic formula. Like you just look at history, just relook at every single draft, just open up the page of, you know, the 2018 draft 20, well, 2019 is too early, but just look at any draft and just scroll down the picks and see how many guys there are after the first round that you've never heard of, because, you know, anyone could kind of come up with the one steal, uh, you know, at any position, uh, after the first round but for every one guy that you can come up with there's probably four or five other guys who never even played or made any impact in the league so uh, just just look at any draft and it's easy to see that you know there are a lot of players picked in the draft every year about you know over 200 players picked over seven rounds so for every one steal that you can think of there are a lot of guys who have not done anything it's really not easy to pick players after the first round and you know at defensive line as much as any other position so uh, it's very hard thing to hit on. And, you know, just looking at the players picked in the past couple of drafts, going back to 2018, about about half of the guys picked uh, over the, in, in the past couple of drafts, 2019 and 2018, about half of them uh, have not even played half of the possible games that they could have played to this point. So a 50-50, about, you know, split it in half of the players uh, taken after the first round at defensive line 2018-2019 drafts have not even appeared in 50% of the games they could have played to this point. So uh, it just it's hard to hit on players in the draft, especially after the first round. And that goes for defensive line just as much as any other position. Michael, I would just like to point out that David Deacon Jones, one of the greatest pass rushers of all time, was drafted in the 14th round in 1961. So what that clearly means 
is that the New York Jets should not even consider taking Chase Young if they're in position to do so because obviously they could get a really good pass rusher in the seventh round or maybe even as an undrafted free agent. That's what I think we take out of this. Don't draft defensive linemen high because they're easy to get and don't draft pass rushers high because they're easy to get. And as we established before, don't draft quarterbacks high. I'm not sure what position you would draft high. I guess maybe kicker. The only first-round kicker I can think of was Sebastian Janikowski. He was a first-rounder and did really, really well. So the bust rate is 0%. It's one for one in first-round kickers. The Jets need a kicker. So if they can get an elite kicker in the first round, team him with Lachlan Edwards, I think we might be onto something here, Michael. Yeah, I agree with that. And and we've said this before. Joe Douglas has got to you know go outside the box, be a little unconventional to change things around the Jets. So, you know, that's definitely going outside the box, and it makes a lot of sense after Sam Ficken missed another kick this season, uh, this past week. But actually, we like Sam Ficken. He's a good guy. He made the rest of his kicks. He's off the hook. But, uh, yeah, probably going to have to be looking at kicker uh, in round one next season. And it, it, I'm, is it a good year for kickers? Uh, hopefully it is. And even if it's not, you got to go with kicker in round one because no one's ever missed on a kicker in round one, although round two is a different story. We can ask the Buccaneers about that. But round one, I don't think anyone's ever missed on a kicker. And I might be wrong, but uh, if it is just Janikowski and that's a 100% hit rate, you got to stick with that. We can also, unfortunately, ask the Jets about missing on a kicker in the second round, <laughs> Mike that's Nugent. True. So, unfortunately, the Jets can't pick a kicker in the second round. But the first round, one out of one, that's a 100% hit rate. And I think the Jets got to play the percentages. Michael, thanks so much for coming on for Chronicles of Nanny. As always, really appreciate it. Your writing can be found in about a million different places. I'm pretty sure that if there's a website in existence, you've published at least one thing on that website. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work and how they can follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania, and I pretty much tweet out or retweet the links to any article I post. So uh, I'm ready to make this AFC wildcard push, and it should be an exciting run to January here for the Jets. Sam Darnold said that the playoffs are still possible, so let's see what he's made of. Can he help the Jets run the table and still probably not make the playoffs even if they run the table? <laughs> I won't say anything like that to Sam Darnold. I'm just going to encourage him and hope that he can find a way to make it happen. Follow Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Read his work at Odds Checker, Yard Barker, and all the other great places that you can find what he's written. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.